0: Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 71. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Holstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. So today I'd like to talk more about God meeting our needs or not, what that looks like. In episode 68, I think we kind of left things with Greg saying, God doesn't necessarily meet our needs, that it's more about bringing forth God's kingdom, which is, I think, a pretty huge topic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And as I've thought about that conversation more I'm intrigued by, I don't know, how you came to that conclusion when I think of the things that you've shared about your childhood experiences and the horrible things that happened to you as a child. How, like, I guess what pops in my head there is, like, how do you not look at those experiences and think, like, how does God remain good to you? like? why not just completely get rid of God? And I think you kind of Mm. did that, but I'm like, I'm curious, like how did you get from, or well, one, let's maybe go through the process of like, how did you process like whether, how God handled that or didn't handle it? And then how did you get to a better place of where you are today, where you're saying, well, you know, God doesn't necessarily meet our needs. Yeah. Am I I making any sense?
1: Yeah, completely. I think those are great questions. And, you know, One of the things I really like about our discussions, I mean, you and I don't, we, we connect a little bit during the week, but you wouldn't, for example, know that just yesterday I had two conversations, two great conversations on this subject. Really? Uh, really. <laughs> on, on this whole kind of, how did I uh, end up being a Christian and, and going through all of the difficult you know, things that I went through as, uh, coming out of an abusive family. Yeah. I mean, I I think probably the, the, the kind of central topics that we're going to have to cover to get some sense of understanding or for me to kind of be somewhat clear, you know, the, the, the whole idea of evil has to come out. And then, um, I know that's huge but it's a I a the
0: topic.
1: Well, we're going to have to I'm going to have to at least give you my take on it. I don't think no, I can good. argue this here, but I'm going to give you my take. And my take on this is that people are responsible for what they do. They are. So, you know, um my dad was abusive to me in in you know, and this is uh this is sexual abuse and and so I don't, I don't have to go into all the different varieties of, of uh, you know, uh, the manifestations in, under which this could take place. But let's just say he's responsible for the way he acted, right? And I think particularly with kids, and here I'm talking, you know, single digits, especially really young kids. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of responsible, but I'm not responsible for anything to do with that. And I think that that just needs to be made really, really clear. You know, sometimes, like we talked about in a previous podcast, the upshot often of living in an abusive family is that the child sees themselves as the cause of the abuse. They are bad, and therefore they've brought this on. And this is a way of coping. And it seems really backwards. But the reality, as you mentioned in that previous podcast, is that to see your parent as responsible and as the one who is uh, creating all these, like, who's doing these bad things is terrifying, right? Because you lose your sense of any sense of comfort, any sense of stability. It's so much easier and more stable to think that you've brought this on yourself and you're just a bad person. And of course, part of the reality of living in a dysfunctional and abusive home is that you take these messages you embrace them as truth, and you don't even realize you're doing it. It's just the water you swim in. So part of it was to say, in terms of evil, my father made choices that had certain outcomes. And you know, was I responsible for not cleaning up my hockey equipment, not taking care of my room, not being obedient sometimes? Yes, yes, and yes, I'm sure I was. None of those things merited the types of things, the abusive things that happened to me. So that's, that's very, very clear. And I want to be, some people would disagree with that. All right. Some people would hold God responsible. Some people would say that God caused those things. So I've been in churches before where people pray to God and thank God for the terrible events that have happened in someone's life, because God has to be in charge. And this is a little bit
0: like well, and all, things, and all things come together for good to those that love God.
1: Yeah, that, that misreading of Romans 8.28. I think if we read that verse in the New English Bible, that's a much better translation than, say, the NIV or the NRSV. Because the, the NEB makes the assumption that Paul is not writing discursively. In other words, that Paul is a guy who just simply can't keep on, tra- on track when he's writing. Which I think... <laughs> <laughs> particularly in Romans, is a bad move. You know, he leaves something. He leaves something at the beginning there in Romans 2, 3, comes back to it later. But he doesn't sort of weave in and out, jumping through topics to topic, with, you know, throwing one verse in. Like Romans eight twenty eight. the way the NIV and the NRSV translate it. Anyways, I could go on about that. I think we've talked about that.
0: You said that you didn't hold God, you don't hold God responsible at one time, did you? Because I I got the impression that you did. Yeah, but it was think more than that. It was
1: more than holding God responsible. It was me saying, Hey, you're useless. If you can't do anything about this, what good are you? You know, and then you have this purported notion of justice. So if God is just, well, what would that mean? Well, a lot of people would say that child abusers and pedophiles should these are people that should be we throw them away. We throw lock them away, throw away the key. And maybe in a Christian context, these might be some of the first people of all the people we could think of who do you know things that generally we would call bad. These are some of the first people with Hitler and Stalin and some of those big names that we would say should go to hell, that these people should be punished or tortured eternally for their, their wrongdoings. And I would say that within the context of intimate injuries Uh, intimate relationships where one party injures another particularly in a parent child situation this is useless I never wanted my dad to be hurt I didn't I wanted him to stop and I wanted him to do dad-like things with me you know let's play baseball let's go fishing we did a little bit of baseball we did a little bit of hockey but you know there were a whole lot of other things in there that kids just shouldn't experience. And my in my view, I I, I wasn't, all God's justice meant to me was you're bigger than everybody else and you're going to go deal harshly with my dad, which doesn't do me any good. I never wanted that, right? And then who knows what the upshot will be at that point. I had a very different view of
0: hell. What about uh, for people that do? Because I... Do what? Well, that that do want harm done to that person, to the perpetrator, that do want... In other words, their idea... Mm -hmm. In some ways, I feel like your definition of justice is somewhat unusual. It's it's somewhat surprising. Mm -hmm. And by the way, in episode 32, you go into more depth on the whole justice thing, so maybe we don't need to spend that much time here today on that. But... I think it's, yeah, If hearing what little I know about your experiences with your dad, like, if I I try to put myself in your shoes, which I realize is totally impossible, I think, man, I want this person not to exist because then the bad stuff Mm -hmm. couldn't happen. Or at Mm -hmm. least they would, like, pay for the bad stuff they did. Well, it's, it's
1: interesting you mentioned that. There was a woman through here, through Swiss Liberty, a couple months ago, And she was a social worker Uh, she is a social worker in New York City and her job pardon me is she works with teens who come out of abusive homes and so she sees a lot of these kids who are who have been abused are being abused whether it's physically sexually it was I think it was mostly physically and sexually like some active thing happening as opposed to you know some sort of neglect where the parents not around and it's so a parent acting negatively against a child, which I realize I'm not trying to downplay neglect. I'm, I'm just saying that it was something much more directed in your face. And I asked her about this. I said, well, how do these kids, well, by and large, how do they respond? She said, they all hate their parents and they all kind of hold the view that you hold. And then I said, so what do you, what happens to these kids five, 10 years later? What do you see? She said, I don't see these kids. I have no contact with them. I see them at that moment, and then after that moment, that's where my job is, and that's somebody else's job later. I don't know. Maybe they're out of the system. Maybe they're still in the system. And I said, you know, I, I mentioned to her I'd be really interested in longitudinal studies because I would say that my response at the time when I was in my late teens, early 20s, um, I started going to counseling because of a this Gigantic anger issue that I had that 's how things began to manifest anger, just this anger out of nowhere at my dad and as I began to dig and dig and dig, and then the things that i wasn't allowing myself to see and that i didn't allow myself to understand began to come out, and the picture began to sort of be unveiled, you know, and my dad worked he pushed back pretty hard against this to try to you know get me to stop seeing this this counselor and trying to change my views as i began to sort of become aware of some of this stuff. So i think what you're saying is accurate, but i think the reality is i both hated what my father did and who my father was for doing it and i loved him. And in the at the end of the day, what i wanted was for him to say i'm sorry for him to live, I'm sorry, and for him to say, I love you, and for him to live, I love you. Because that's what kids want from their parents. No kid is born wanting their parents to get lost, die, etc. They may want that at a certain point because it seems the only way to get them to stop doing what they're doing. Or they're so, you know, the kid needs something and the parent is just so unwilling slash unable to give it. And that's so painful. But I don't think anybody out of an initial orientation, has a hatred for the parents, just like I don't think any parent has a hatred for the children. You know, sometimes parents resent their kids and vice versa, and that can be problematic. But I think resentment always comes out of a pre-existing desire, or hopefully, uh, you know, if it's a new parent and you're kind of, you know, you're in an awkward situation, sometimes when you first see your child, I mean, that can change everything. It's just, wow, it's this automatic connection. So so I think, yeah, in terms of evil, I would say there's a degree of responsibility there. And I would also say in terms of evil that um, I wanted the evil to stop, but I didn't want the method of it stopping being the destruction of my father per se. I wanted it being the writing of relationship. So I went to counseling to try to make the relationship better. And I invited my parents to come And, uh, you know, they came once and that was a horrendous event and, um, we got nowhere. But, you know, because that's the type of guy my dad was, he he was having none of that. But in terms of God, take me, take me, I don't know. First of all, is that, is that clear?
0: It's very clear to me. Okay. But take us down the path of blaming God or like, I'm assuming here, I don't have data. But I feel that there's a fairly strong sense in Christianity that God takes care of God takes care of Christians. Uh, In fact, I've even I'm just thinking of someone I know fairly well, and they would say that their immediate family, Mm -hmm. which is completely intact and Mm -hmm. no great catastrophes has happened to. Mm-hmm. is a result of putting God first, is a result of, yeah, being a good, being a Christian, being being in right relationship with God, and because of the right relationship with God, God has blessed this family, and that is a very compelling reason for being in relationship with God. I look at the situation a little bit and say, well, okay, well, does that mean that if, You know, did Greg's family not, were they not Christians or were they not good enough Christians or was it just bad luck? Like what, like, Mm. so that's, those are some other things that have just kind of recently popped into my head. But I, I don't know if that's a path worth, worth going down, but I just think there's kind of this general assumption, or at least I picked it up somewhere that, you know, if you know God, God will take care of you. And I look at your situation and I say, I don't see how God took care of you at all. Now maybe he took care of you after the fact, but not like then. To me, taking care of you is like not allowing it to happen. Well, now we get into free will and (laughs) probably more of the problem of evil. And yeah, this is a a complicated one.
1: Yeah, and I, I think I would agree with you in a general sense. Taking care of me is either not allowing it to happen or allowing for the possibility of reconciliation. But again... My dad is responsible and, and, and in 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 just as I am, just as you know, everybody is, especially the more so as they become adults and they're knowledgeable, etc., they're increasingly responsible. But the other thing is that my dad had the authority. He was my father. He had, therefore, the authority of a father over me. I mean, I'm I'm kind of saying the same thing in two different ways. It's 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 entirely obvious. And yet I would say that there are certain realities that God has set up like gravity, um, that, that, you know, God doesn't go tinkering with. Uh, it, it, God doesn't kind of step in and, and, and kind of, uh, oh, this is going to be really bad for Greg. I'm going to come in here and kind of work this out. I don't really think so. You know, my father had the responsibility, also the authority to do what he did. And, and or, or to, to, uh, there were a whole range of possible actions associated with that kind of mantle of authority and that debt of responsibility. And he misused that, sometimes terribly. And so, some of it he used very well, you know. But this idea that God sort of takes care of Christians, I think what I read in the Bible— is that Christians receive a spirit or a kind of an indwelling orientation, right? There is a link, if you will, a sort of type of link, a sort of type of new orientation towards God. In that sense, does God take care of Christians? Absolutely. But in terms of they have better health, they have better jobs, they have better this, they have better that. Well, I don't think so. I think that there are a lot of non-Christians who do a lot better. Now, could it be that they're doing better because they had a better starting point? Maybe. you know. And I think we'd want to... Here we're also talking about sanctification, right? Uh, and then we're also looking at a long, another type of longitudinal study, which is when someone becomes a Christian over X amount of time, Obviously, they they change. They're maybe ten years later. It's they're ten years older, but but are they in some senses better? And how do we categorize better? And what are the categories that we the headings under which we might look for an improvement? And I think these things get kind of tricky. I guess I would say my church background has shown me a lot of people that, oh my God, if these people haven't had improved over the however many years that they were Christians, I would have been horrified to have seen them when they first became Christians or beforehand, because these are some pretty nasty people. You know, we talked about the whole thing about the, the ministers when my father and brother died, how they, um, they just, it was a highway robbery of the funeral. They turned it into a, an evangelistic rally because the, the, the event was so upsetting in the community. And they knew that this church, this big church that had been so underpopulated was going to be actually full to overflowing. So they disregarded our wishes. They told us they'd do X, they did Y. They used the whole thing and turned it into their, it was like profiteering for Jesus. It was the ugliest thing possible. These are guys who've been the pastorate for 30 years. You know, in other situations in other churches where the one minister, uh, you know, is just, he's been living uh, this 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 lie for I don't know how long, he was caught in a Kmart bathroom with uh, having sex with the male principal, of the local Christian school, huge scandal, you know, but this guy saying one thing, doing another thing his whole life and on and on and on. So I guess I would say maybe in certain families holding to Christian orientations, like, does that help you live better? Does it help you? I think in terms of relationships, yes. Right. There are certain things that everybody needs in a relationship. And I think Christianity does promote some of those. Forgiveness, honesty, gentleness, patience, fairness, openness, all of that, right? Compassion, mercy. And I think in relationships where these virtues, I'll use the old word, virtues are manifest, things go better by and large. But, you know, you could throw somebody who's got not a a couple that have a whole – not a whole lot of skills into a kind of mundane, ordinary situation and they will, you know, kind of stumble by. And you can take a couple who have a wealth of of skills and virtues at their disposition and put them in a war zone. They're going to have a hell of a time, you know. And will will, will the one have – the second one have done better than the first one in the same setting? I think so. But, you know, life isn't – we don't have an even bar, and uh-huh.
0: you know, we
1: don't all have this kind of even what what we would consider a nice quote unquote nice a safe North American uh, existence. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a tricky one. I certainly wouldn't want to stake something on it. You know,
0: I wouldn't want to stake my belief on that. So I think I took us on another detour there. <laughs> <laughs> so back to or maybe you've already answered a little bit, but how, yeah, how, I guess I'm not quite sure where to go next. Do you have?
1: You began by asking about how, I mean, God meeting our needs, I guess, was the focus.
0: And how in light of
1: my very difficult childhood have I come to a place where I am both okay with God and believe God didn't meet my needs, even though my needs were pretty enormous and pretty obvious, right? Most people would step in the way uh, of a parent who is doing something horrendous to a child, you know, if you see something horrendous going on in public, somebody's going to do something. Um, and so why wouldn't God? That was kind of the sense I got behind your question. Yeah, that yeah, that's fair. And then, you know, if you're saying God doesn't meet our needs particularly, then how are you okay with that? Because you've come through this really tough time, and don't does don't. Doesn't, there have to, have to, doesn't God have to meet some of those needs somehow? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I, you know, I think the other thing too, and this is the piece where, you know, I've really been pushing the notion of experience and more recently I've been talking and experiencing God, experiencing God showing up or acting in the world today, here and now in real people's lives. And one of the ways I've been framing that is to say that I believe that that takes place personally, but not necessarily individually. And what I mean is God acts in people's lives, in person's lives, in intimate personal ways that demonstrate a tremendous love and a tremendous sense of truth about that person, a tremendous knowledge. But it's not individual. You're not going to find that happening all over the place. So my view is that we should expect to see that and experience that someplace around us. If you can't find that anywhere, I think you've got a bit of a problem. But I wouldn't expect that you would see that everywhere. So in that way, coming back to, well, how does Greg get his needs met? Well, in one way, I look around and I look for some of the stories. I look for some of the personal stories that people tell me about what God is doing in their lives. And this is kind of tricky, right? Because I have to then, you know, find these stories and I have to kind of assess them in two regards. One is, are they credible, right? Do they make sense? Do they stand up to some sort of analysis? Do they seem like things that really could have happened? And the other is, are they effective? Do they seem to have any traction in terms of, like you would say, meeting needs. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's even bigger than meeting my needs. It's meeting needs, right? And what are the needs there? Um, so there's that. And there's also not just ex- stories externally to me. I happen to have some of those of my own, right? I have instances in my life where I feel God has shown up. And God has not, in a sense, shown up to say, hey, I'm going to make it all better. Well... You know, I'm not sure how God's going to do that. Or, you know, I'm going to force your dad to say, sorry, I'm really sorry, and I really love you, and let's just be friends. Let's just work it out. Mm, no, no, that's not going to happen. I think that's a, that's a false notion. My dad had particular ideas and particular way of being, and he took those to his grave. And that's really unfortunate, but some people make those choices. And my dad did. But I think what happens and how I would phrase it is that God doesn't, in terms of a uh, a deep brokenness in people and a deep, in situations of tragedy, in situations of um, just being Abjectly alone, and these other ways of just feeling absolutely rejected and um, like there's nothing there, no purpose in it, in life, that is. I don't think God gives us this thing or that thing. I think what God does is God gives us God's self. The relationship is itself the response, the relationship is itself. Meeting the needs, and in some ways that sounds a little backwards, and it sounds a little uh uh wishful, you know, like well my I'm hungry is God gonna give me food? No,
0: probably not sounds right. kind of meta to me <laughs> so, what do you mean by meta well it's it something about something in other words uh you're hungry. But instead of getting, giving you, what I hear you saying is, you're hungry, you don't have any money to buy food, or means of getting food, so instead of giving you food, God gives you himself. Well, Is that what uh, you're saying? I guess I'm, might be yeah, too simplistic.
1: But I'm, I'm kind of cheating. I'm giving an example <laughs> that automatically is going to be broken, right? I'm giving you a bad example, because we're talking about emotional needs, and we're talking about... Uh, emotional pain. We're talking about relational destruction, and so in that context, I guess what I'm saying makes a lot more sense. I don't typically go to God and say, "God, I'm hungry, give me food," right? And I, but I guess this is part of the whole, the whole thing. God meets needs. People might say, "Well, what needs? What is God looking to do?" And I would say God is looking to make us into whole people who can rightly relate with God, with ourselves, with others and in the world around us in and with it that's what god is looking to do for what purpose to what end for the furtherance of god's kingdom that's what i would say the orientation is and um yeah within that context the relationship with god is is crucial it's key um and so and and this is where you know i would come back to my kind of two central tenets about love and truth these two things need to be at play and, they, and the person needs to be functionally able to functionally engage with them. So part of what I came out of my family of origin with is an inability to engage with love. Well, how on earth am I going to have a love relationship with God if I can't admit that I'm lovable or love, any, love somebody else? How's that going to happen? You know, very pointedly, I needed to, in a certain way, have something broken inside of me Fixed. And that fixing is God being kind of, if you like, present and showing up in my life. I don't think that's going to happen in everybody's lives because they don't need it and they shouldn't expect it. But that's not to say that what happened in my life cannot be a valuable testimony, a valuable example of God acting here and now. And that was what those two conversations that I had. Uh, actually, one uh, just earlier today and one yesterday were about. It's, you know, how does this work out for you that God shows up or God showed up? And what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, and yeah, did, you share with, with,
0: did you share with them like what you essentially shared here? Or do you want to put some more color on that? Yeah, well, no, I put a lot more color on it. I sort of went walked through the
1: whole thing in terms of... Um, I mean, I'll put color on it in a kind of 30,000 foot brushstrokes, if you like. I would say that 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 involves two things. And I think it involves two things for everybody. But hear me out before, let me kind of paint them first uh, before you respond. Um, I would say that involves certain experiences of God and certain understandings about God. And those experiences about God interface with me and their experiences of and for me also understandings interface with who I am, understandings about me. And so when I'm talking about experiences of God, it comes back to that whole, that that thing I was mentioning previously about them being personal, but not necessarily individual. So sometimes I have to engage, probably most times, most people are engaging with stories that they hear about God acting. So I have somebody that I know who lives a stone throw away from me at this point. He's living here in Switzerland. Has some stories about people who have been physically healed. And I'm interested in those stories. I think they're, you know, I'm not necessarily going to buy them outright, but I find this person to be credible. And this person knows these other two people. So I don't have a direct contact with that. But there is a, a link which in, you know, uh, we may call um, testimony, right? It's someone telling a story to someone and that story being passed on. And I think the idea that I don't see it with my own eyes means that it's false is a ridiculous proposition. I think that's actually deeply untruthful. But the idea that some just because somebody says something makes it true, of course, is likewise deeply problematic and untruthful, right? So there's a process of weighing up that's involved. So on the one hand, there's experiencing God. And part of me experiencing God is taking on To the degree that it's credible and effective. The testimony of others about God, about God acting. And also, me having understandings. New understandings about God, like who God really is. Those come, on the one hand, through a fairly, you know, we've used the word rigor before. A fairly rigorous approach to the biblical text. That's a source and an important one, a crucial one, of knowledge or information about God. Right? But so are... So are other studies, right? Studies in sociology, psychology, anthropology, um, natural sciences, biology, right? So getting to know who human beings are. What can I expect of myself in this process of trying to understand who God is? What can I expect of God? So again, if we come back to your point about meeting people's needs, if, if I'm hungry and I'm expecting God to send down manna from heaven, that ain't going to happen, The story in the text was a very specific situation. And there are also stories of Jesus, you know, the bread and the loaves, very specific situations. That is not a generalized or generalizable norm. I can't expect that. But I can expect that God is interested in furthering God's kingdom, that that is God's central concern. And from what I read in the text, I would say my phraseology is, and we are epicenters of God's love. God's kingdom is God's central concern, and we are epicenters of God's love. And in that way, from my own perspective, coming out of a very difficult childhood, coming into a relationship with God where I have both had newer and I would say truer experiences of God, myself, and others, and newer and truer understandings of God, myself, and others. It was the weaving together and the kind of buttressing of one with the other, of these two things, experience and understanding, that have allowed me to move from a position of agnosticism to a position of Christian belief. And one of the things that I just told one person just just earlier today was, I got to a point of critical mass, if you like, where I realized that I could do one of two things. I could continue with my agnosticism, or I could be the person that I wanted to be and claim to be by being a Christian. I could not do both.
0: That's fascinating.
1: I could not do both. So I would the, be a liar.
0: So the, you, the- so the way you were seeing it there was the, the only path to being, to having integrity with yourself and who you thought that you were meant to be was through Christianity.
1: Who I wanted to be, yes. Who I wanted to be all along as a truth seeker. The reason I gave up Christianity is because it was a crock of lies. It was a bunch of junk. Well, you know what? I would say that the things I believed then, I believe now still. I was a Christian and then not, then a Christian again. It's not like somebody said, oh, you forgot about this little piece of information. And I just, oh yeah, gee, silly me. You know, ridiculous, right? I'm not gonna go through all this stuff with all this evil in the church and evil in my family and all of this. The movement back was a movement that did not deface or ignore any of the truths that I understood from before, but brought in a lot more. And in order for me to continue being the me that I wanted to be, I had to, I had to make the call. Because I was going to be dishonest if I, if I didn't. I, I was going to be dishonest if I did not say, yes, I, will, I am a Christian. Yes, I believe in this. Yes, God really has acted. Um, you know, and I remember, I, mean, I may have told you this story before. I remember sitting, I remember that moment of decision. Not of, not of decision, but of admission. And here at Brie, as you know, we have meetings one-on-one with staff members. We call them tutorials. And that, that word comes from the kind of Oxford tradition of having where, you know, undergraduate students would meet with their profs and they would have these meetings weekly, <clears throat> maybe for half an hour or whatever. And the prof is there to, you know, interact with the student while the student is explaining what they're, you know, what they're trying to do with studies. They're, the prof is a, a resource and, a, you know, a sounding board. And this is an hour long. I mean, you know this. And I probably told you the story before. It's an hour long time period, right? And I sat in that room, just him and me. And I said nothing for 20 minutes, nothing. And we're just looking at each other and looking away. And he didn't say anything either. And at the end of the 20 minutes, I finally said, you know what? You know what I see? I'm sitting in this room, and you know what? It's filled with me. It's filled with me everywhere. Me at different stages in my life. And some of the me's are applauding what I'm going to say next, and some of the me's are shaking their fist at me. But I am convinced that Christianity is true and that there is no way that I can be a person of integrity, that I can be honest and or moral if I don't admit this and embrace this and so it was you know it was accepting the full ambivalence of the situation while still being you know i'm not partially in i'm i'm fully in but in some ways i hated the fact that i was fully in because it was me associating with people that i did not want to associate with and i remember i didn't tell anybody I told my my wife, I told this fellow, and I think I told nobody else for a long time because I was just ashamed. I was ashamed to be connected with these people. And yet part of what, I guess the big part is that I, I was ashamed because I was unable at that point yet to communicate what I was, what being a Christian meant. And then, no, it didn't mean these other things. Sometimes it didn't mean them at all, and sometimes it didn't necessarily mean them. And I guess this is where I wonder if some of our discussions are going, in the sense that there are trappings and characteristics of evangelical Christianity in North America that you and I are kind of working through. And, you know, I think as we have our discussions, something that I see is. We're bouncing these things back and forth and and sometimes these um, these trappings and characteristics, they stand up to our appraisal and sometimes they look like something that doesn't have any valid basis in the Bible, doesn't really seem to have any valid basis in terms of how people would want to live their lives from other perspectives, whether we mentioned, you know, Brene Brown or somebody like that. and And a lot of, I think, what we're really doing, when I pause and look at it is this you know we've talked about the metaphor of the table the table is christianity in north america let's say and it's full and when you say you're a christian you're a christian to somebody on the street they look at the table and go oh i know what you are and i think we're still in process of clearing some things off that table and saying these things don't belong and in fact there's some stuff that's not on that table we need to add that stuff
0: Go back a little bit. You, just something's, I think that's very well put. Go back a little bit. So, something just keeps staying out to me. Your your idea that, or suggestion that God does not defy gravity mm. or the situation of someone doesn't have something to eat and God's not going to give them manna. So, I, I don't know. I've heard countless stories stories or testimony or whatever you want to call them from people that said you know I didn't have something I was down to my last dollar Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you know I had a I had a bill due that was you know $1,250 and that's what I needed to stay in my house or I was going to lose it Mm -hmm. and it was the last day the last hour and I went out to my mailbox and there was a check for $1,250 God provided for me in ways I could have never imagined and I would say, and I'll, I'll pile onto that by saying, for me personally, and this might sound funny coming from me, I've mentioned this before. There are two very distinct events in my life where I'm convinced that given four or five inches in one direction or the other, I would not be here. Hmm. And I have a deep-seated belief that that was some type of divine intervention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, did did like God like? you know, stop the earth from rotating (laughs) for, for a, for a nanosecond so that, you know, my, and these are both like physical accidents so Mm. that my body landed or didn't land in a certain way that I didn't have either death or permanent brain damage. Mm. Uh, Um, and which resulted in no, I I don't have any brain damage that I know of. Um, but like (laughs) I, so I think of those types of situations and I say, okay, maybe god doesn't like turn gravity off but it seems to me that i don't know isn't god involved it at least for me personally in in those two personal situations i strongly believe and why i believe i don't know because i have a hard time strongly believing anything about christianity like believe like to my core but for Mm -hmm. these two particular events i believe to my core that there's no really good way to explain what happened. There's to, like to just say, well, you know, it was just it was just luck, just good luck, you know, just good luck that I didn't die.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For some reason, I look at those two experiences and say, you know, some type of intervention happened at what level? I don't know how it happened. I have no idea. But I look at those two events and I just say, I'm here for some reason. I'm still trying to figure that reason out. But yeah. I I look at those experiences and say some, in, some type of intervention and because I'm supposed to still be here. Yeah. So no. what do you think of that? Hmm. Like, am well, I missing well, something? I'll, am I putting it together? Like, what do you think of that?
1: Well, no, I mean, um, I think a couple of things, I guess. I, I would say, uh, let me give you a counterexample here. And and one of the things that's been mentioned, you know, the former director here is an economist and used to talk about how, um, we Christians can have ways of structuring our, um, let's say our, our financial dealings. Uh, and we, May expect you know, like the example you gave, I was down to my last dollar. We may expect God to 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 chip in or to 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 make something happen that way. And one of the points he raised is, you know, oftentimes when you use this kind of more chaotic management structure, by v- the virtue of the fact that it is more chaotic, it's less controlled. You're giving less thought to what you're doing. That there are tons. Or many more, if you like uh, holes where where, where where you're in need of something and something can happen. Now is that in other words, should we be taking a more uh, direct management approach to our finances? Should Christian institutions like churches or missions organizations be saying, hey you know what we're gonna take a fairly direct approach to our finances. And sometimes we're going to close down. That's what it's going to mean. Or a lot of places, I think this fellow's point was, a lot of places don't pay a lot of attention. They don't solicit funds perhaps, or they don't do it well. They have people involved who aren't good at what they're doing and in other areas would fail. But what ends up happening is they get bailed out. Is that bailing out God? Or is it the fact that there are so many places for this institution to get bailed out because they're doing things poorly? I don't know, right? I think his point was, I think we can be using our heads more. And so I guess I would say in certain situations, um, you know... That seems to
0: skirt the answer to me, though. (laughs) Well... (laughs) I'm not buying that one. (laughs) Okay, okay.
1: Well I, I guess the other thing i would say is is that i think god has a vested interest in all of us god we are epicenters of god's love but that interest is always directed back to god's central concern which is god's kingdom and
0: so, so tie that to my situation
1: so well is god interested that you stay alive generally speaking i think so is god going to you know alter heaven and earth so that or at least earth, so, so, that, so that you do. I mean, I, I have a situation where I was riding a bicycle far too fast and I was heading towards uh, a guardrail, and I thought that over the guardrail was 15 feet of grass and then a lot of water. So I thought I was going for a dip and maybe a broken something. It turns out it was 40 feet of rock, not just down but out. I would have died. And I failed on my first attempt to turn my bike. I just I, it just froze in place, and I thought I was either going to have to slide. So this is another kind of personal thing. I don't know if I prayed or not. I think I probably did, but you know, did God act there? I don't know. And I guess what I would say is, I think it's perfectly fair to remain agnostic about those things. I think if someone says no, that's impossible. It couldn't have been God, or if somebody says absolutely. It couldn't have but been God. I think both of those people don't have a a leg to stand on. I think if somebody wants to hedge like you're hedging and say, I can't really tell you why, but I really have a sense that this was more than just happenstance. Then I guess what I would look for, if it were me, is how does this weave in to the rest of the events in my life and in other people's lives? And how do other people Weigh this up. If I tell other people this story, do do 80% of them come back and say, yeah, 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 I don't know about that one,
0: John? Well, I can't think of any Christian that I would tell that story to that would that would say, nah, well, I don't know if God acted or not. They'd be 100% like, of course, God took care well, of you. God met but your, does your God needs. Help you, does God help people find parking spots? Some people believe so, people yes. Find their
1: toothbrush when their toothbrush is missing. <laughs> You know, like, does God care that you have good oral hygiene? Does God care that you, you know, get <laughs> the store? Some people would off? say
0: yes. I don't know. I don't know how to answer any of these questions. Well, I, I don't My think guess is so. you're like saying big thumbs down no. <laughs> I'm, I, I will,
1: I think that for the most part, God is not terribly interested in these things because these things are not terribly crucial for God's kingdom. Now that I know, I understand that somebody's going to say, hey, Greg, that's totally retrospective. There's no way you're going to have a sense of that except retrospectively. And I'll say, sure, you're right. But that's part of my leaning towards agnosticism. I'm going to be agnostic with respect to most of these things. Now, a classic example here at Labrie and that I've, I hear over and over again is the story of somebody sitting at a formal meal table And it's, uh, you know, kind of a, it's not really a meal table conversation. It's just an offhand comment, but it sparks discussion. And the comment goes like this. I was out hiking the other day. It was a beautiful day and I saw an eagle in the sky. And then I had this thought about how God wants me to overcome my problems. And I realized that God put that eagle in the sky for me. And then it finishes up. And out of that comes this long discussion of really, really? God put the eagle in the sky for you. Do you really think God does that? So God is putting stuff all over the place. God's kind of like, you know, hocus pocusing with reality. That I don't know that a branch fell at a certain time or didn't. Now I'm not saying that these things. I don't want can't to touch happen. any of
0: this stuff. <laughs> you do or you don't.
1: I don't. <laughs> it's
0: like. See, I, I
1: think you'd have to go a little further. I, I, yeah, I
0: don't know. I don't. I'm. I don't know why I'm reluctant. I. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can see all the angry emails now. <laughs> uh, well, and I'm not worried about the angry emails so much as mm. I don't know. There's a very deep seated part of me that's just like I don't want to touch any of that. I don't know. I, I could God make the eagle fly a certain place. I. Uh, we this is, we, I think it's so much easier. I think we just unpeeled one layer of like an onion that's a thousand layers deep today.
1: Well, okay, but let let me let me cut back and say I think there's there there are some other much much more acceptable options. If somebody says, "I saw the eagle in the sky," I was hiking. and I thought about my problems, and I thought about like here, here's a strange one. I was hiking. I've been hiking here for years, right? Every all the times we've been coming, I've been hiking, uh, almost every day. One day I saw something extremely strange. I saw two deer together, but they weren't just together. They were literally standing in full profile right in front of me, about 50 feet away, with their heads, their foreheads right together, not doing anything, just there for about a second and a half. And I went to my my tutor and I said, what do you think? Did God put those there for me? And I told him a story about what, what I thought when I saw the deer's. Well, I don't think God put those deer there for me. But is God interested in what I think? Is God interested in how I make use of or I'm inspired by the world around me and the conclusions I may come to about certain things in my life? Absolutely, I think so. Does God help? Does God help bring understanding? Does God spark the imagination? Does God, uh, I don't know, invigorate intellectual um, efforts yeah, I think so. But I don't think we got to say that God pulls a whole bunch of strings because you know what? This comes back to my dad. God was not pulling any freaking strings. So the fact that I may have come out of this in a way that a lot of people haven't and that I have had some things happen. I don't think God said, you know, we're going to put Greg in a really tough situation. In fact, we're going to make it really, really, uh, really terrible. And out of that hellish situation, he's going to learn some things that other people don't and won't. He's going to come up with some goods that people don't have. And he's, he's going, going to, to share these. And you know what? I, th- I think that's absolutely the wrong way to look at it. right? I would say that's absolutely not what God does. God does not create lousy situations and create problematic environments and create abandonment issues and et cetera, et cetera, so that people will end up, you know, uh, this is the greater good argument. God allows evil for the greater good. No, God's in a contest. There's a contest. There are other, there's a, There's another combatant. There are other combatants out there. And the biblical text is extremely clear on that. And in fact, it was interesting. I did a study, just a little brief aside, on oh, the atonement. And I was looking at this book, Four Theories of the Atonement. And I was, you know, I was going in and I'm pretty confused. And I'm thinking, ah, gee, I wonder which one I like best. And I came across one and I thought, this one is the definite loser. It's called Christus Victor. Its focus is that Christ came to conquer sin and death and gain victory over Satan. Well, you know what? Of any of the views, that view has the most biblical warrant. It has the most passages, the most time, the most attention. And I came out of that saying, completely changing my view and saying, this is a very, very, this is the most substantial view. Jesus came to do that. So I don't think God's there pulling strings, pulling eagles out of the sky and making people do terrible things to their kids. That's not who God is, right? We live in a world where people have responsibility, where things happen, where there's a created order. And yet I think God wants to move us constantly towards right relationship with God. And I think God sometimes does that. By by helping us to see things, or by offering us possibilities, offer by allowing things that are in front of us to be possibilities, to be seen as something. So I think part of the Holy Spirit's role, and I'm saying this for everybody, right? That the Spirit is there, acting. That is some that is part of Christian belief, not just necessarily uh, for Christians, but for all, acting and moving and facilitating, I guess, the possibility of a right relationship with God. Part of that is is allowing us to interpret the world around us in right ways, and in ways that take us closer towards right relationship with God.
0: So, at the risk of ruin a, ruining a perfect ending, I'm still not. <laughs> I'm still, so the the perfect dollar amount arrives in the mail. I don't think you've answered. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's another episode. But I, that one's still not. That, uh, that one's still okay not answered you. for me.
1: Well, you know, and okay, well, I'll come back. One of the fellows here, the same fellow who who knows a couple people who have had, uh, you know, physical healing was talking about his driver's license and they walked in and it's Switzerland and it's tricky, right? There are all these regulations and blah, blah. And they're like, oh, you're going to have to get retested and go through this and that, and that, and that, and he said, well, how much is that? And they said, ah, not much, about 1500 francs, which is about 1500 (laughs) USDs. And he just sort of, no way, that's not going to happen. But I need my car and I need to drive. What's going to happen? So they prayed about it, right? And they come back in. They saw somebody different. The person looked at them, looked at their records, looked at the stuff, and just said, just kind of shrugged and went, eh, stamp, 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 stamp. There you are. Done. Buy intervention. And this is what he said. He said, I put this out to you. We prayed that we would not have to pay this money and that this could be taken care of. And, but he left it as a question. Prayer is answered. Is this – well, he said – This is a question that I hope you'll ask yourself. Do you think this was an answer to prayer? Do you think that God intervened in this way? And I I like that, right? That he's putting it out there. He's giving us the example. He's telling us it's a real situation. It's really important. It's not just some like eagle in the sky thing. And like your situation, right? The exact dollar amount comes in the mail. Okay, but you know what? Some of these anecdotal stories, we really need to capture and say, I know this guy, and here's why he's in this financial position. Not because he's like constantly calling up people for money. Well, yeah, of course, some money came in the mail for him because he's constantly doing this, and people feel sorry for him. But what are the odds that the dollar amount is exactly
0: the right amount? I I don't know, but I guess I'm saying I'd like to hear the I'd like to actually hear the stories. Okay, because what I'm hearing you is the I feel like you're dodging dodging the answer, and what I maybe what you're saying instead is. Okay, I want to know specifics. Let's talk specifics and less hypotheticals.
1: Yeah, and if you know this, if you know this person, and no, this is a hypothetical. This is a hypothetical.
0: uh, I've heard stories like this. I read stories like this, but yeah, could I bring? But I've heard stories about
1: Sasquatch. (laughs) I've heard stories about the Loch Ness freaking monster. You know, like I'll believe in them. I'm okay to believe in all that stuff. Just give me enough evidence, right? It's
0: got to be credible. No, you have to have faith. And effective. I'm being sarcastic now.
1: Well, yeah, but then we can talk about the right kind of faith, so.
0: All right, I think we'll leave. uh... (laughs) We got to come back. This is our strangest ending ever, but it's probably as good as it's going to get. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 71. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.